We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You're listening to Setting the Pace, your go-to Pacers podcast with Alex Golden and Michael Focci. Sabonis down the lane with authority. Oh, Miles Turner bringing that smoke. Lundberg skies high for the jam. Warren lets it fly. Yes, T.J. Warren is not human. The Setting the Pace podcast had Kevin Pritchard on. Well, you got it setting the pace, and I think that's terrific. All right, everybody, the draft lottery is officially over, and the Pacers are slotted at the 13th overall pick. Joining me now is the the draft guru, Michael J. Focci. Focci, what's going on, brother? I don't know if I can quite take that title, but, uh, you know, we've done some good research into some prospects. I'm excited. And Alex, maybe I did hold out a tad bit too much hope. The Pacers could potentially jump up, but, hey, 13 <laughs> it is. Yeah, I, I don't know why, but at 8.30, my stomach started getting the knots. And all of a sudden, I started fearing the worst that we were going to get the 14th pick and the dumb Warriors were going to jump into the top four. And as soon as I saw Golden State's logo come out at 14, I said, okay, we didn't drop. We didn't drop. So um, it was, you know, good to see Nancy Leonard up there representing the Indiana Pacers. Obviously, with the being virtual, they didn't do the interviews like they normally do, so you didn't get to hear too much from her. But Pacers stay at 13th. And if you look at the top four, three Eastern Conference teams – made it into the top four, probably uh, one of the worst-case scenarios for the Pacers. I think so, and because, man, the bottom dwellers of the Central, the, the Cavs and the Pistons, it feels inevitable that at one point in time they may be good again. Uh, unfortunately, that might have got a little sped up tonight. The Pistons moving up, you know, the Cavs moving up, and the Pistons getting the number one overall pick. I mean, this is a franchise that needed it badly. Yeah, and nothing worse than seeing the guy that started the brawl Sitting in there, smiling real big, getting the number one overall pick for Detroit, Ben Wallace. You know, oh, just, there's a last laugh. <laughs> oh, but but anyway, let's talk about that for a second. So Detroit gets Cade Cunningham. Clearly, you know, you probably want him to go to a Western Conference team like Houston or OKC or whoever could have jumped up in there. Maybe you know, um, if Minnesota had kept their pick. But looking at this now, Foch, do you think you know that Cade Cunningham going to Detroit is the best case scenario in terms of the East teams that could have got him? I, I guess just because, I mean, you know, it's the Pistons. Like they're, they need so much work. Yeah. But at, at the same point, you know, a team like the Magic, I mean, maybe it would have been like, hey, you know what, he can go over there. It'll still take them a while to rebuild. They're not in our division. But, 
You know, hey, it is what it is. I think if Cade had gone to another team, like I think if he went to the Cavs, I think it would have been very interesting over there. I think it could have been a bit better. I still don't see Detroit as a playoff team next year. But mm-hmm. Cade, Cunningham, Cade Cunningham is going to be very good, and eventually the Pistons should have their day. Yeah, there could be a, a time in, you know, maybe five years where you're looking at the two best players in the Eastern Conference being in the Central Division with Cade Cunningham and Giannis Antetokounmpo, I mean, that's a very real possibility. I will say this. The good thing about Orlando not getting the number one overall pick, they have an opening for their coaching position. So I think if Orlando would have gotten that first overall pick, there would have been a lot more of a pressure. Not pressure, but I guess more competition for the Pacers competing for you know who they want to be their next head coach because I think Orlando could become extremely desirable if they were to land Cade Cunningham. No, that's very true. And I mean, they would have had two top eight picks. So, you know, really would have given uh, the Magic a, a lot of ammunition. And they already have some good, you know, potential young pieces over there. So uh, it, it's going to be interesting to see. But at the same point, I do still peg that that Orlando job below Indiana due to the circumstances you just mentioned. Yeah, I definitely think that that's the case. Now, interestingly enough, Woj, before the draft lottery, did mention that there are some teams that would be interested in maybe trading their pick. And he mentioned Minnesota as one. So I was actually kind of hoping they landed in the top four because they have some decent contracts that you could maybe trade for, uh, maybe get rid of two of your starters and, and hope for that. But Cleveland was another name that he mentioned. And if you look on paper, there is, you know, some possible moves that could be made if you're the Pacers, if you really want that, you know, third overall pick to go out and, and trade with Cleveland and, and maybe get something there. Would you in, would you anticipate the Pacers doing anything like that? I really don't, uh, just because it feels like the Pacers are trying to win now uh, rather than, you know, maybe give up uh, some top assets for the third overall pick. I am always very intrigued with the, hey, we haven't seen what this guy can do yet type of approach. So I think this, honestly, is a really good draft class in that, like, top four, top five. So getting the third overall pick in this draft, I think, would be extremely appealing. I just don't think the Pacers are going to make that type of move. Yeah, and I think if they did, like, look, obviously this isn't, like, something ideal, but Cleveland does have Kevin Love's rather large contract. So you could package maybe Brogdon and Lamb with pick 13 for Love and three. Like, that's something to me that could be interesting if they want to go that route. You could go Turner and Brogdon for – you know, love and somebody else and and third and keep 13 as well. I mean, there's, I I just think like, I'm just thinking out loud. So don't, don't. Yeah. I was going to say, I don't think they do that first trade. I don't. Well, I think they, who, who wouldn't do that trade? The Cavs, they got Darius Garland, you got Colin Sexton. So it's like bringing in Brogdon complicates things. Yeah. They don't, well, they don't want Garland though. Or not Garland. They don't want Sexton. That's the thing. There's been trade rumors out there about that. There has, there definitely has, but I think like, sure. They'd like the Kevin Love contract off the books, but not as basically a dump of the third overall pick. So I yeah. do think they would be looking for something back in return. Um, I would imagine if they're if they're doing a deal with the Pacers, it would probably have to involve Sabonis. I, I would think so. Maybe, but I don't think I'd give up Sabonis for pick three, uh, just depending on what we have. I just it's it's difficult for me to say that, but I just thinking out loud, I, I think Mobley could be there at three. So if you really believe in Mobley as a better center than Turner and Sabonis going forward, like projecting wise then maybe you do make a move like that if you're Indiana, especially if Kevin Pritchard does indeed want to rebuild and he does get the green light. Like Jay Michael said it, like based on this coaching hire, look, we know that they've 
got interviews set up in Chicago, but based on this coaching hire, they could rebuild a little bit. So I'm just I'm just throwing it out there. I'm not saying it's possible, but what I do like is Sacramento and New Orleans and Charlotte staying at 9, 10, and 11. I think those are more realistic trades that the Pacers feel like they need to move up, you know, three or four spots in the draft to try to get, you know, a player they really like because a lot of guys in my top 15, top 20, we're going to discuss our top 15 today, I feel like they could go before 13, and that makes me a little bit nervous, Foch. Yeah, I, the guys that I'm in love with, I do not know if they're going to be there at 13. Uh, I'm getting nervous. Guys, I've sold myself on, and ah, if the Pacers did have the ability to move up a couple picks, I'd feel a lot safer uh, because once you get down to that back end of the lottery, it, it becomes a bit unpredictable, but there's still a lot of talent there. We've talked about it. The Donovan Mitchells, the Devin Bookers. I mean, those are guys that are floating around at 13 that can very well be had. I mean, a year ago, everyone would have loved to have picked Tyler here at 13. So I'm sure he'll rebound eventually. But it's like there's good talent at 13. But you just you got to be able to nail that pick. And the Pacers are going to have an opportunity to do that. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. I think at 13, it still gives you hope because at the end of the day, it could you know, it could have not been a lottery pick. So that's that's where you got to be thankful the Pacers did not make the playoffs and fall down to 15. But I do still think there's a lot of nice talent here, Fudge. So uh, did you want to reveal your top 15? Sure. Do you want to go uh, just kind of one through 15? Do you want to go, you know, back and yeah. forth? Yeah, we'll just keep going. And then if we disagree, we'll uh, I'll stop you. Okay. Number one, I have Cade Cunningham. Yeah. Um, I, I think that that's probably unanimous across the board here. Um, number two, I don't have Evan Mobley. I actually have Jalen Green. Okay, we're and, on the same page. <laughs> okay, so I, I'm convinced that Jalen Green is going to be a stud in this league. I think that if he played college basketball, he would have been much more of a household name. You know, I don't think it's any surprise that really not many of us watched G League games this year, but he delivered. I mean, this is a guy that can score. This is a guy that can shoot from three at a high clip. I just think that this is a a this guy is going to be a scorer in the league. So yeah. at number three, that's where I have Evan Mobley. Um, now I, I don't think big men are are as as you know. I mean, look at DeAndre Ayton. He was the number one pick of the same year as Luca, you know, and Trey Young and all that. And Ayton's a good player. He is. But is he ever going to be like a, a star? And that's where I don't really know. Mobley has a major upside. I think that he's going to be a really, really good player. But I just felt like Jalen Green could be more of where the NBA is going, more of yeah. that type of star. Yeah, so, so I'm right there with you on your top three. And I and I put Green above Mobley as well because I just feel like position-wise, his position is probably yeah. more important to have. And if you look at that Houston Rockets team, you know, especially now, I'm not saying because this is just my big board, but I'm looking at Houston. I don't know if they take Mobley already having Christian Wood. I mean, exactly. you could have the Twin Towers down there, which could be really fun to see because that's something that's totally different now in today's NBA. And they're both really gifted and athletic big men. But the, could they get in each other's way is my question. So I think Jalen Green, while he's a little bit of an unknown, get this guy in some, you know, draft workouts and get him in the draft combine. I think. Houston could have their eyes on him. Clearly, they wanted Cade Cunningham. That would have been the slam dunk pick for them. I think that would have been really fun to see uh, Cunningham and Christian Wood. But at the end of the day, I think Jalen Green's a nice complimentary prize to that. And like you said, Evan Mobley, like, this guy is really good. Don't get me wrong. I really like Evan Mobley's game. And I just think, like you said, Foch, center. It's just – it's a position, like, unless you're a top two or top three guy like a Jokic or an Embiid, that position is not as prominent in today's NBA. So – 
that's why I'm not like like overly you know criticizing Evan Mobley. I think he's a great player, but is he the guy that I would want to take with my top five pick based on my roster? I mean, I think Cleveland it makes the most sense for them to go and get a big like that. Yeah, I completely agree. I think that this kind of reminds me of the James Wiseman pick last year where Golden State, like, sure, they had other guards, but, like, it felt like LaMelo Ball had more of a star potential. They went with James Wiseman, and I just felt like he didn't make anywhere near the impact that a LaMelo Ball could have made for the Warriors last year. And to no surprise, LaMelo Ball went on to be offense, you know, to be rookie of the year. Uh, it was just a really, you know, game-changing player. For the Hornets and for Mobley, you wonder if, you know, you already have Christian Wood there, like you mentioned. I just don't know if he'd be the right fit for Houston. But if if they did pick him, you know, hey, he's going to be a really good player. I just felt like Jalen Green could give them a little bit more, especially with the loss of James Harden. Yeah, do you think Golden State could be interested in trading the seventh overall pick at all or maybe attaching that to a a Wiseman to move up in the draft? Like, I know that sounds crazy, but, like, imagine Evan Mobley on that team. I think he makes a ton more sense than James Wiseman based on how he plays. You know, if they could get to the number three pick trading Wiseman with, like, seven or something, I'm not saying that's ideal, but, I'm I mean, looking at this year's draft, I think this draft is much deeper and much better at the top than what Wiseman was last year as a prospect. I know, like, I believe he was a second overall pick, right? Yeah, so I get why you might be like, well, why would you trade a second overall pick for a third overall pick and give up your seventh? I'm not, like, suggesting that that's, like, the ideal thing, but if they think Evan Mobley could fall to three and he's that much better than Wiseman, I would consider that. But I could also see them wanting to trade seven and attach it to a bigger contract like a Wiggins to get their team a little bit better. And is that is that a pick at seven that you'd be willing to move up that high for, Fosh? Um, so I, I do think that Golden State would much rather the latter route of, of doing the seventh overall pick and Wiggins because this is a team right now that they don't want two lottery picks. I mean, you're getting Clay Thompson back, who's missed two years. Uh, Stephen Curry, I mean, he I believe he just turned 33. I mean, he's not getting any younger. You can't, between Wiseman at number two last year, the seventh and the 14th pick, they don't need to be waiting around for this young talent. I think they want to win now and maximize, you know, Curry's window. And yeah. I, I think it would be a bit too much to attach Wiseman and the seventh to try and move up, you know, to, to three for Mobley. Uh, I do think that getting that Wiggins contract off the books and, you know, you're going to have to attach a top pick to it. So it would probably have to be that seventh overall pick. That's probably more of the route they're going to go. And I do think that for the Pacers, I mean – I mean, do you think you get to keep your 13th overall pick at that point? If you make them, I think you do. Yeah, uh, I guess it just depends on who all you give up. Like, if you gave up two starters, and no, there's no way. But if you give up no. one and salary filler with some expirings and, like, Lambert, uh, Aaron Holiday, then that's something I could see. Like, if you are if you trade Turner, uh, Jeremy Lamb, Aaron Holiday, I mean, would you have to give up 13 to get to seven? Would it be worth it to you? I would like to hold on to 13th, but if it's a trade that's, say, Miles Turner, Jeremy Lamb, Aaron Holiday, and you're getting the 7th in Wiggins, I mean, it's it's kind of appealing <laughs> to have 7 and thir- uh, seven and 13. I mean, right then and there, I mean, you could be getting, A, you know, a really good starter in about maybe two years or so, maybe a year, and then the 13th overall pick, I mean, that could end up being your sixth man. I mean yeah. – Wiggins Wiggins had a good he had a, a good year compared to where he's been like he got better I felt like he was smarter I felt like he defended more the contract is not ideal but we're saying it every single year every year that goes on is one less year you got to pay him you know so yeah. it, it's really not a bad deal it's a deal I would be intrigued by yeah I think if you look at it this way 
if you get someone you really like at seven and you let Wiggins finish out those two years, by the time his contract's up, boom, you insert that seventh overall pick, and then that's your starter going forward. I think that does make a lot of sense. And based on how all these contracts are set up with Levert and Brogdon, everybody would become a free agent at that point. Yep. So you'd get all that money off the books. I I, I really like that idea, Fatch. I really I do. I like it's, it. If things go bad, <laughs> you can rebuild in two years. I Yeah, and, and the thing is just moving up to seven from 13, you get to bypass all these guys. And I think that some of the guys that we really like, he'll, they'll still be there at seven. And I think that – you know, that at that point, you have an idea of where to go. But anyway, let's get back to our list. I know we're getting a little off track here. So we stopped at number three, Evan Mobley. Who's number four for you? Number four is Jalen Suggs on my list. Okay. I, I, I think I really like Suggs' game. I saw him play, you know, a few different times this year. I think he's got a great feel for the game. Good defender. He can shoot the three ball. I mean, he was a major reason why Gonzaga was nearly unbeaten all year. I mean, this is a guy who I see floor general from him. I think that he's someone who is very good. I mean, I saw some comparisons that they're com- they're comparing him to a Brandon Roy, a Jamal Murray. I even saw Chauncey Billups in there. I know these are just names that are thrown out, but it just feels like that that's a leader on a team. So mm-hmm. I-, I really like Jalen Suggs at that fourth spot. Yeah, so that's who I had at four. At five, I had Scotty Barnes. I changed things up a little bit. Did you have Barnes at five, or did you have somebody else? I had Jonathan Kuminga. Kuminga is a guy that I have not seen play, but from everything that that I'm reading, I mean, this is someone who, again, probably would have been a household name if he played college basketball. Uh, I thought he performed, you know, really well in the G League. Um, I think that that's a great stepping stone over there. Really athletic, great rebounder, you know, great ball handler. Uh, It's physical. Uh, I think that that's someone that right around at that fifth pick, I think would be good value. Yeah. So I think Kaminga is more, I think he's more of a project than some of these people realize. I think there's a lot of talent there, but it's untapped potential that we haven't seen yet. So I think with Jonathan Kaminga, he is who I have at six. Honestly, I think him falling to six and going to Oklahoma city could make a ton of sense for his growth because they're not trying to win anytime soon. And you put him on a tanking team for the next couple of seasons. I really do believe that that is something that you could look at and, and make a lot of sense. And I think Scotty Barnes, look, Orlando loves them some big guys and they love wings. And I think Scotty Barnes makes a ton of sense for him, especially since they dealt Aaron Gordon, a fan favorite over here. Uh, and Scotty Barnes is someone I absolutely love in this draft class as well. So, you know, Orlando is just trying to pull my heart away from Indiana, but they're not going to do it. But they're trying. So, you know, Scotty Barnes, I, I think that that makes a lot of sense for him at five. Uh, th- who did you have at six, Fudge? That's where I had Scotty Barnes. So right yeah. over there, I feel like that's that's kind of where I see him coming in. And, and I, I like what Scotty Barnes brings to the table. I, I really do. I, I think he's a really good defensive guard, makes plays. I, I think that this is someone who, um, you know, has more to grow. But that's what happens when you get – I mentioned that top five, that top four to five, I feel like is – you know, pretty solidified with guys that have, you know, really, really high potential. And then I think there's the guys that still have high potential, but it could be, you know, more of that Scotty Barnes area. I feel like he's that kind of second tier is where I'm getting at right there. Okay. So who do you have at seven? So at seven, I'm not in love with this, but I have Keon Johnson there. So okay. uh, Keon Johnson is someone that, you know, we talked about highlighting him, but we never really got to him. And from everything that I was reading, it seems that this is someone that, can grow into a better three-point shooter, uh, but, you know, it's hasn't really been there. Um, they're, they're 
Basically, he's got elite, you know, ball level skill. I think that this is someone who can be very good, but at the same point, you know, I want to see a little bit more. Uh, wasn't, you know, the highest of scores, didn't, didn't shoot the ball well from three, but could eventually. So it's one of those where all the mocks that I started seeing had him high enough where I went with the consensus. Yeah, so I, know, I don't know if you saw it today, but he did measure two inches shorter, I believe, than his actual listed height. Interesting. So I that did have an impact on me a little bit just because I believe he was listed at 6'6 six, six or 6'7. Six, maybe, maybe it was 6'5. But last time I remember, I thought it was 6'6. Six, six, and I think he measured him today at 6'4, which two inches doesn't seem like that much. But to me, it, it's a little bit of a, a reason why I'm not as high on him at 7. And that's why I went with the guy that we've really been wanting for the Pacers to get. And I think Moses Moody at 7 is where I have him. And I, I just... I think he measured in today with a seven foot one wingspan. I think he's six foot six. I just, I love this guy, dude. <laughs> I feel like he's going to be a top ten pick. There's no doubt about it. But I'm in love with Moses Moody. I would love for the Pacers to get their hands on him, and he's the kind of guy that I would love to target in that Warriors trade because I think give him a couple years sitting behind all those great wings and Levert, yeah, T.J. Warren, and maybe uh, and Andrew Wiggins. I wouldn't call Wiggins great compared to those two, but he's good. Uh, you have Moody playing behind them and learning so much. I just, ah, I just love that idea of grooming him to take that position away from Wiggins once his contract runs out. If that trade were to happen, but with that, you know, being said, I just, I really like Moody, and I actually had Keon Johnson at eight. Fudge, I, I love his, I love his defense. I love his ability to get to the free throw line, and if you pay attention to his uh, most of his, uh, you know, scouting reports. He puts pressure on defenses, and he gets to the free throw line, and he knocks his free throws down. That is something this Pacers team has needed for so long. Without a doubt. And at number eight, it, it kind of hurts because I want to put him higher. But just like you said, Moses Moody, Alex, I need this man in Indiana. I do. <laughs> I, I honestly feel that he is a very safe bet. It just feels that he's a well-rounded player. He can score. He can rebound. He can defend. I mean, this is someone that I feel like is going to be a sure thing. And in that second tier, it just feels like it's a need for the Pacers. It's a wing. It's someone that that we've been dying for. I mean, I saw numerous mock drafts. Kevin O'Connor put out a mock draft. I know that you mentioned earlier. They had Moody at 16. And I was like, am I crazy? Because yeah. I, I just felt that I was like, this is someone who I, I'm starting to get like, fixated on is that I need him to be there at 13 for the Pacers. Yeah. If he's there and we pass up on him, I'll be ticked. Oh, my God. I'd, I'd feel sick to my stomach. So having him at eight, I felt like was a good in-between, knowing that I might be higher on him than most. But I was like, there's no way I'm putting this man around 13. He, he might not be there when we're picking. And, and to be fair, because I'm looking at this from a Pacers perspective – it was really hard for me to evaluate centers here and put them in my top 15. I agree. I agree with that. I'm guilty of that. Yeah, because, like, you know, look at a guy like Kai Jones, who people have just been, like, really putting up there high in their uh, in their top 10. You know, I just I just, I don't think he makes sense for the Pacers. So I didn't put him in there. The kid from um, Isaiah Jackson, I believe his name is, from Kentucky. Yeah. Um, all these prospects are running together now. Then the, then the uh, international player as well that I think Kevin O'Connor had, like, mocked, like, eight to Orlando or something like that. So – I just that to me is where I kind of did not rank these guys in this when I was looking at these guys I did more of like my top you know 15 for the Pacers so that's why I'm looking more at like wings and, and different things like that but uh, moving on to number nine I had James Booknight who did you have at number nine Fletch? So I actually had um, the guy Alper and Sengun that, that they had projected uh, number okay. nine for all Sengun. I know. 
Yeah, I, maybe I pronounced it wrong. I don't know. It's one of those. Where, I don't know how to pronounce it. Yeah, it's like, look, this guy was not available to be seen during the season. But from everything I've read, they're saying he's a throwback big. I mean, a great interior. We scorer. don't need that. <laughs> I, I we do not. I know, but I'm. I just to to not be completely biased. He was the guy that I was okay. like, okay. I read that he was an MVP at age 18 uh, from yeah. the league that he's coming from. Turkish. I think he's yeah. in Turkey. Tur- yeah. He's a Turkish league MVP at 18. So I was impressed by that. Real good rebounder, all that. So I put him at number nine. Um, but also, just like you said before, I'm a bit guilty where there's some guys over here that I really, really fell in love with that I had to have higher on my board where <laughs> let, like the centers over there, I was lower on them because I didn't want to get invested in the Pacers taking another center. So I'm yeah. a little bit low on that. But, um, yeah, so moving on for uh, for your number nine pick. Yeah, so I had James Booknight from UConn. That's, uh, that's a guy that I think a lot of Pacer fans are hoping falls at 13. I think he measured in as well today, just an inch shorter than what he had been listed as. So, once again, like, not the end of the world, but still it does have a little bit of an impact, I guess you could say. I'm not, like, overly, you know, upset about it or concerned about it. But, yeah, so that's where I had him at nine. And then at number 10, rounded in my top 10, I had Davion Mitchell from Baylor. And I think this guy will probably go earlier than top 10 just because of all the hype that was surrounding that Baylor run to the championship. I know that that does have an effect and impact and where these players are drafted. So I do think Davion Mitchell could get drafted before the Pacers pick. I know a lot of Pacer fans really are high on Davion Mitchell. I'm, uh, I still want to, I still want to do some more research on him. I'm kind of in the middle. I think he could be really good, but I also think he could be just the guy that had a good college run, a tur- tournament run, and that's just who he is. So I just I don't want to fall in love with that trap and uh, you know have another Trey Burke all over again. Yeah, so I, I completely understand where you're coming from. I have James Booknight at number ten. Okay. Um, so Booknight is someone that we covered, and I truly believe that he is going to be a scorer in this league. I felt like there's certain things that, yeah, he's going to need to be a bit more consistent on some mock boards. They have him much lower Uh, on the, the Kevin O'Connor mock draft that came out today. They had him over at 21. So I like struggled putting him in at number 10, but this is me being biased of who I feel like is going to have a better career, not just who's better right now. And when it came to Davion Mitchell, who I had as my next guy, Mitchell was a junior. Mitchell took – like, he played much, much better this year than in his previous two years by far. And I just – to tell you the truth, I feel like that's what happens when you play three years in in, uh, college. You get better. So, book night, he's a sophomore. Like, look – but he took a solid step forward scoring the ball. Davion Mitchell, I think you're going to get a really good defender who shot the three ball very well this year. He did, but I, I, I think that he's got a, a lower ceiling. Where Book Knight, I think that he, if he's really going to pan out, he could develop into a 15-plus point-per-game score. Mitchell, I think, could be more of just a kind of defender that can – a 3-and-D guy. And, and I, yeah. I'm not in love with him where a lot of other mock drafts Truthfully, have him around seven. So yeah, yeah, he's high. Yeah, I think Jay Billis had him at five, if I'm not mistaken. I, I saw something like that, and <laughs> it made me feel like maybe I'm being a hater. But I, I just felt that I want to say that he might have measured at basically six foot. So yeah, he, yeah. he was listed at six two and six foot. I mean, we've talked about calling Aaron Holiday small at times, like six foot in the league for a point guard. He might have some tall tasks guarding some. Six five and beyond point guards. It's going to be tough. 
Yeah, if he if he falls to fourteen or thirteen, the Pacers select him. Great value. I, I will probably end up liking him. That's no doubt about it. I will I will end up talking myself into him, but yeah. he's not above some of the guys I have ahead of him. So anyway, Davion Mitchell, uh, he's a he's an interesting prospect. So at eleven, I've got my guy from Duke, Jalen Johnson. Okay, that we just had on the Prospect Chronicles. I'm not as high on him as I was starting out with this whole thing, but once again, I really like Jalen Johnson. I know that I compared him to Aaron Gordon. In that um, conversation that we had, I, I can see some of the same things, same similarities in their play. I just I'm looking at someone with upside at this point, and I think the Pacers, looking at the names that I have above them, I, at this point you have to hit on upside and not play it safe. There are some guys that I have lower that are projected higher at this point, and um, I just don't think this makes sense for me and the Pacers where I view them at. Like a guy like Josh Giddy, someone I'm not super high on, uh, Franz Wagner, why I think he might be a good player. I think he's a very uh, low-risk, low-reward kind of guy. I don't view him as a high-reward kind of guy. So that's why I'm not, like, putting him above. But I think Jalen Johnson, like, this is a guy that I would be willing to take a gamble on and hope that he produces into something special. So I, I completely get you over there. Jalen Johnson has that NBA body. I feel like when you're talking about being athletic, being a playmaker, being a rebounder. I mean, when we covered Jalen Johnson, I said that this was a guy that did not – live up to his potential. He is better than what he's shown. He had basically half a season at Duke before he ended up just, you know, leaving to go pro um, and train for, for the NBA. I feel like Jalen Johnson has that prototypical NBA body that I, I mentioned before. But I had Josh Giddy over here. Giddy is someone that – So you're higher on Giddy than I am. I, I think I am uh, because I, I love that passing ability that you can't teach. Giddy's going to have some stuff to work on. He's going to have to work on his – being a, a consistent shooter and all that, I, but I, I just think his passing ability, his height, he can rebound. I just feel that this is someone that I would be willing to roll the dice on, knowing that hey, like we're seeing some great, you know, you know, I don't know if I want to say European talent, but some great foreign talent come into the league, and I just feel like Giddy could be someone that could be pretty special. Uh, we, but there also is a, potentially a decent. You know, bust factor. I mean, you got to be honest there. I, you know, either it works out and he's really good, or maybe this is someone who really just can't shoot. But I like the idea of Josh Giddy. Yeah. So, all right. Well, let's see. Who do you have at 11 then? Jalen Johnson. Jalen Johnson. So that's yeah. why I had 11. So you had Giddy at 10 uh, or 12. Okay. No, you had uh, a. I had Jalen Johnson's at 12. Yeah, exactly. Okay. And I have Zaire Williams at 12. Okay. So, I mean, Zaire, I mean, that's someone that, you know, we <laughs> covered a, a bit. He's very interesting. Uh, yeah. Another guy didn't live up to his potential, but the talent's there. That I mean, he could be a stud. He really could. Yeah, that's a, that's a guy that I kind of have the same feelings about Jalen Johnson. Like, these are two guys, like, back-to-back are, like, super high-risk, oh, yeah. high-reward kind of guys. Like, you know, and that's why I'm just like, oh, Zaire, like, I was laughing at my, my buddy Sam message uh, was talking to me on Twitter today, and he was like, I don't want to go after a guy that's going to be a project, but he loves Zaire Williams. I said, bro, Zaire Williams is a project. <laughs> like exactly. he's a major project. Like he has all the intangibles that you want. He's got the length. He's got, you know, the size, but his shot and his disappearance in his first season, I just, in, in college, I didn't, I didn't like it. So I'm very in the middle on him, but in terms of just like pure athleticism and what he could be, that intrigues me more than the guys below him. Yeah. I mean, Zaire, just like you mentioned with Jalen Johnson, those are two five-star recruits that were one and done. 
that realistically did not have a great freshman year and probably should have came back. Zaire Williams, I, I think, probably should have came back, could have dominated. But, hey, uh, you know, right now if you could end up being like maybe a lottery pick and you didn't reach your full potential, I feel like that's hard to pass up. So over here, this is where I, I, I didn't want to be too biased, but I I hate picking like the six seven white dude. But Corey Kispert, I just oh, felt no. like, dude, trust me, I hate it. I'm scarred from TJ Leaf and all those and and you know all those type of guys. But saying he could be potentially the best shooter in the draft. I mean, you, you need shooters in the NBA at basically pick thirteen. You know, he, he could be a good value over there, but I don't want to be the guy to pick him. I know, un- unfortunately, that is, like I just mentioned, pick 13. Uh, but, uh, you know, we're talking about a guy that it scares me that he's a senior, but you need shooting. And a lot of the guys that we went through are not good shooters. They're yeah. not. So yeah. that's kind of where he comes in. Okay, so, Fotch, what I'll say about Kispert is, like, everybody keeps comparing him to Joe Harris. And if you watched that – semifinals between Brooklyn and Milwaukee. Joe Harris played a lot of minutes, but I feel like he was very ineffective. Oh, very. I I was after the first couple of games where he actually played decent and, you know, Brooklyn was hitting all their threes, like just going on fire. He was pretty much MIA. So I called him no show Joe. Um, That was my nickname for him because I just felt like he needed to step up and have a breakout game. Like if you would have gotten like a 20 point game out of him at some point, I think Brooklyn probably would have won that series, but it's just like, Time after time after time, he just kept missing big shots. And it's like, I'm not saying Kispert's that same person, but at the end of the day, the Pacers don't have a Kevin Durant to draw away all that tension to get a guy like Kispert open. So, you know, he's he's fine. If the Pacers took him at 13, like, I'm not going to sit here and, like, throw my remote at the TV or something. But I'm not going to be jumping up and down. I'm like, uh, okay. I, I think it would be very Pacery if the Pacers picked Steve Clifford as their head coach and drafted Corey Kispert. Like, uh, okay, it's going to be another one of those years. So I went – with another guy that I, I am falling in love with. And I asked you when we were talking about guys who wanted to cover, and we haven't covered this guy yet, but we're going to eventually. And I'm going with Trey Mann from Florida. Okay. Uh, at 13, he's a sophomore. He's 20 years old. He's six foot five. He shot 40% from three last year. You know, his shot is so smooth. He's got a great handle. Um, and he's actually gone through a recent growth, uh, growth spurt. So, Going to 6'5", I mean, that's a pretty good size. If he could grow an inch or two more after that, that would be really interesting to me. So I I do really like Trey Mann and what he brings to the table. Now, defensively, I still think there's a lot to be desired there. But offensively, he can be that microwave type of player. So, you know, he's not like a super great athlete, but he is a crafty guy, and I think that this is someone that intrigues me. I like I like Trey Mann. I had him a little bit further down on my list, but, I mean, I, the fact that he just grew, I mean <laughs> – that's always going to, you know, bump someone's stock. And I do think that he's a really good player. So yeah. I can't knock that one bit. For my next pick, this was more of a gut call. I see him going a lot later in drafts. But I'm going with Shreve Cooper. Shreve Cooper was someone that, you know, there was a, there was some sort of case going on where he couldn't play in, in the beginning of the season. When he started playing for Auburn, he lit it up. I mean, averaged over 20 points per game. One of the best passers in this draft. By far, average over eight assists. I mean, he's raw, though. I mean, you're talking about a guy where the jump shot's not really there as much, but, you know, you're talking about he's got that offensive talent. He's a playmaker. He's a ball handler. He's got a great feel for the game, but I just feel like 
Also, there, there's some knocks on him. He's just six one. I mean, like I mentioned, inconsistency shooting the ball. Like, is the three point ball going to be there? We got to see. He only played twelve games, so this is more of an upside pick on talent at the back end of the lottery. Someone that I think is probably going to outperform his draft place. Yeah. So honestly, like I'm not in love with him because of his offensive lack, you know, uh, only shot 22.8% yeah. from three, not good. you know, he he's got some nice things about him as a freshman. So you got to be intrigued by the age, but at the end of the day, it's just like, you know, I, at, at, at 13, like, is he someone I really think makes a ton of sense for us? Like being an undersized point guard that can't shoot. Like that's not exactly what I want. I don't want another TJ McConnell. And, you know, he's good at getting to the free throw line on his free throw shot is really good. I mean, he shot 82% on 103 attempts this year. So I, I think that that's something to look at. And he had a really nice assist to turnover ratio. Well, it was actually only two to one. So not good. Yeah, no, he, he had turnovers. He's raw. But yeah. But, a lot of but eight assists a game. I mean, that tells you he sees the floor well. So I just I just don't know if he makes the most sense for me, but I wouldn't be like, oh, yeah, you know, upset about it. But like these are there's a group of guys that I'm just like, yeah, OK, like I'm, I'm yeah. OK with that. And he's in that group for me. Uh, that was your 14th guy. I believe that was my 14th. Yes. OK, so my 14th, I'm going to throw a little curveball here. This is a guy that's 23 years old. He'll be 24 by the time the season starts and if you look at the Pacers core that's around the same age so it does make sense I think he's a plug-and-play guy right away and this is Chris uh, Duarte from Oregon six foot six 190 pounds he averaged 17 points last year with a 65% true shooting percentage shot 42.4% from three 144 three-point attempts 81% from the free throw line and he averaged two steals a game so I just you know, I really like his ability, Foch, and I know he's a little bit older. I feel like he's a guy that'll slide, and one of these teams that are a playoff team will pick him, and he'll end up being a plug-and-play guy right away. But I really like Chris Duarte from Oregon. I think that he is someone that that's going to be a low-risk, high-reward type of player because you know what he is coming into it. He's had plenty of college experience, and we really want to hit on somebody that, you know, could could be a superstar, but he's not that but I think I like his defensive potential more than a guy like Corey Kispert. Yeah, those were the – I mean, it's not to say that I tried to get a senior in there, but I debated those guys when I was looking for a shooter. And uh, it it was tough to lean Kispert uh, over there. I I like uh, Duarte, but I just think that, man, I I don't know. He could be good. It's just when you get to 23 years old, by the time the league starts, I mean, is he going to be close to 24? I I know that shouldn't sound too old, but when you're talking about the 15th, you know, 15th on your mock board, a.k.a. last on ours. I can't knock that pick. The guy can shoot. So well, he was my fourth. He was my 14th. Oh, he's your 14th. OK. Yeah. All right. So, so for, I got one more. I got one more. But go ahead. For my 15th, it was Zaire Williams. Um, okay. I, 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 I do think that that's someone who's perfect to roll the dice on. Just like we mentioned, didn't have the type of year that anyone thought. But there was major buzz for him. Coming out of high school, I think that that's the kind of guy that you need to be patient with. I really can't imagine him contributing much to a good team in year one. But if the right team gets him, like say for 15, it worked out that way. The OKC's picking 15th now. I think that's a, a just such a good pick for them. Yeah. So so I went complete opposite of Chris Duarte and went with Jaden Springer as my 15th he's 18 years old he's a freshman from tennessee six foot four 204 pounds only averaged 12 and a half points a game last year but he did like chris duarte shoot really well from the three-point line 44.4 percent only 
45 attempts, though, so clearly needs to get that up. But I will tell you this, he is really good on ball and off ball on defense. He's got a great feel for the game, and he has incredible hustle. So I, I'm in, I'm intrigued by Jaden Springer quite a bit. I just I don't know if he's the guy the Pacers take, but I think he's someone that could climb up in these uh, in these draft workouts and off, on these big boards based on how he performs. Like there's always that guy that comes out of nowhere, right? Because of oh, how great they work out, and you're like, well, I can't believe they had their eye on him. But I think you know just his ability, uh, you know, just his energy, just the kind of player that he is on both ends of the floor. That is a guy that this Pacers team could use, and I think he makes sense to plug and play right away. But at six foot four, he's a little bit undersized for a two guard. But I think in today's NBA, you can get away with that. Yeah, I think you can. I mean, this is someone who you know shown the capability, could be a good shooter. You know, forty-four percent, but just on forty-five uh, three-point attempts. Looking at uh, interesting comparisons that uh, says shades of Kyle Lowry and Malcolm Brogdon. I mean, hey, I don't think people are going to complain about that too much when you have a guy at you know. Yeah. 15 on your mock board so i mean as a freshman how crazy is it that he could be arguably five years younger than the previous guy you had on the mock board i mean that sounds like a huge difference but that's where we're at at this point in the draft you know there's going to be one or two seniors you think probably around that you know top 14 top 15 area so the freshman you're going to you're going to want to be swinging for the fences on some of these picks so i, I don't blame you right there for the springer yeah, and so then that's where I had Kisper, Wagner, and Giddy. I had them following 16, 17, and 18. I just – I couldn't put them in my top 15. I don't want the Pacers to draft them, and so that's where I'm at with it. I, I think that, you know, Wagner probably goes top 12. I'd be surprised if he's there. You know, I just – if Wagner, Kisper, or Giddy get drafted before the Pacers, I consider that a win for Indiana. hundred oh, percent. Yeah, so that's that's what I'm hoping for. I hope they have great workouts and all these other teams just pounce on them. And then at 13, the Pacers have something to do. So let's take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to talk a little bit about the coaching situation now. We've got three names that was reported on Monday that are interviewing with the Pacers front office in Chicago during the draft combine. We're also going to talk a little bit about Ben Simmons. So will be right back. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right, Fachi. So we know of three names now. Terry Stotts, Brian Shaw, and Steve Clifford are interviewing with the Pacers front office in Chicago during the draft combine. Fachi, when you saw those three names, were you at all surprised? I wasn't surprised, and I felt like all Pacer fans were like, I'm a seasoned veteran to this. All right, I saw this last year. I'm not buying the whole first round. Okay, these are the only three, or these are the top candidates. Like, there's going to be multiple rounds. I mean, last year, we've talked about it. 
I don't even remember Nate Bjorken's name, you know, really being mentioned until towards the end. Mm-hmm. Uh, also, also most of the coaches mentioned in the beginning, he wasn't even on the list at all. So we knew, we knew that, you know, from Jay Michael's report, Terry Stotts, Brian Shaw was going to be two of the people being considered Steve Clifford. I felt like we kind of felt like he could be like a name in the hat, but like not a serious candidate. Uh, you know, we're, and when we're looking at this right here, I feel like Stotts is someone that should be heavily interviewed. Brian Shaw should get an interview. Steve Clifford, yeah, you should give him an interview, but like more like, hey, look, like if an assistant role opens up, would you be interested in that? That man is not going to be a head coach in the NBA anytime soon again. Yeah, so <laughs> it's interesting to look at these names because I see Terry Stotts and I see a, a seasoned veteran coach who – was with an organization for a very long time. You guys know my feelings on stats. I'm very high on him. Brian Shaw to me is a little bit of a wild card because like you said, in Denver, like it was not a good, it did not end well for him. And while he was here in Indiana was really respected. He's kind of gotten back to doing things. He's worked with the G league team over or the G league ignite team over the last season. So if they go with him, does that mean they could go into more of a rebuild type thing? I think that's, Still a possibility, but I still think they want to win and get someone that can relate to the players. I think Shaw has a track record of being able to do that here in Indiana. Now in Denver, clearly that team was just a mess with Ty Lawson, Kenneth Reed, that group. And we saw how, you know, they were good, but not great. And I think that that's part of the reason why just a lot of question marks there in Denver. And then Steve Clifford, this is a guy that absolutely just disappoints me when I hear his name. Like Steve Clifford's a fine coach. Like, and I don't mean to be disrespectful, but all I think of when I see this name is, oh, this is Chad Buchanan's guy that he's familiar with from Charlotte. Oh, yeah. And, you know, if you look at the comparison for what he did in Orlando and how he could utilize Sabonis, like similar to Vucevic, I totally get that point. And maybe that's why you look at it. But I just, oh, man, Fudge, I, if that is the guy they go with, I will be incredibly disappointed. Uh, my image would be just like the Pacers logo, just deflating like a balloon, just going in the air if Steve Clifford's hired. I just feel like it would be the, the epitome of like an average, like, wait, what? Like Steve Clifford got hired? You're talking about a guy with a 292 and 345 winning record. I mean, yeah. it, it, you can't even call it a winning record, just a record. Uh, so he's got three winning seasons, um, the most wins ever in a season 48. That was a, a pretty much a lifetime ago in Charlotte. Uh, so I just feel like this is a guy that I would very much want to welcome as an assistant coach. Yeah. No more than that. Uh, Terry Stotts, you know, we talked about it before. Like, he, he's he's a good, well-respected head coach that, hey, like, there's a lot worse options than Terry Stotts. Um, obviously, the, the big name that was not mentioned on that early list was Rick Carlisle. Obviously, that was what everyone was looking for. Alex, we did find out some interesting news real quick on, on the Rick Carlisle. Yep, topic. yep, yep. Share and that. Mark Cuban and the Dallas Mavericks are not seeking any compensation for Rick Carlisle when he moves on with a new team. I think that's huge when the Pacers already paid Bjorkman a guaranteed year. We know we've cheaped out in the past, and, and it's like, hey – throw the bigger money for Dan Tony and all that. But this is a situation where, hey, if we already paid Bjorkren, at least we don't have to then pay the Dallas Mavericks for Rick Carlisle. That would be, you know, all of a sudden getting a little messy. I think that was a small thing that could make a big difference. Yeah, so there's been some rumblings, too, that Ume Doka could be the front runner for the Boston Celtics, and it looks like he will be uh, if he does not take the Portland job, which I know he's interviewing for, and the New Orleans job he's interviewing for as well. Now, that's just rumors, so I don't know if it's true or not, but if he's a front runner there and you've got um, 
those other guys like Chauncey Billups, Mike D'Antonio's, those kind of guys looking at Portland. And with Milwaukee making it out of the East semifinals, unless they get swept, I would be surprised that Budenholder does not keep his job. Like, I think he's very much safe. And I talked to some of our friends over at the Eurostep podcast, Ty Windish and Rowan Cotty. They were super excited about the Bucks being in the conference finals. They said they've heard that Budenholzer is safe now. So I don't think that job opens up. And like you mentioned, if there is nothing to be compensated for in terms of draft picks or players, this makes Carlisle a lot more appealing. And the only thing I will say negatively about Carlisle is his lack of communication, his lack of player relationships. That's kind of been the main thing with the Pacers, not having somebody that can, you know, or I guess not just the Pacers. I feel like that's kind of been the the thing around the league. Like if you look at a lot of these coaches, it's because they're not connecting with their players. So I, I really do believe that Carlisle, Maybe he's learned something. I don't know. But, I mean, X's and O's wise, he's number one on the, on the list if you're looking at hiring a coach. I think he's been in the league long enough that he knows how to communicate with the players. And I think if you're trying to win, he is a win-now coach. He makes a ton of sense. Still number one on my board. Um, but if Chauncey Billups does not go to Portland, I think that his name could be interesting for the Pacers. But like Woj reported, they're probably not going to go with someone that's not an established head coach. So, once again, my dream of that happening is not going to happen. But yeah, so I'm still where I, I was all along. I I just I, Steve Clifford has to be in there just to be interviewed for a defensive coordinator position if they don't go with him as a head coach. I I just really hope that he takes that route. And assuming he doesn't get a head coaching job somewhere else. Yeah, I mean that's the thing. It's like, hey, why you should interview Steve Clifford? You should just to get a good feel for him because look, I think that Steve Clifford. I mean. I don't, I don't want to say I don't think he's a dumb guy. I think he knows that he's not going to, you know, really get a head coaching job this year. I just don't think his stock is high right now. But I, I do think that we saw what felt like three or four assistant coaches join the Clippers staff last year for assistant roles when they were interviewing for head coaching roles. You know, Steve Clifford is probably going to be an assistant coach somewhere. So why not join Indiana where, hey, like we talked about, I don't know, maybe Rick Carlisle only wants to do a couple of years. If he does make a move into a front office or something of the sort, you know, maybe if Steve Clifford can develop a relationship, we're talking years from now, I don't know. I don't know. But I just think <laughs> as an assistant coach, I'm fine with that. I can get on board. I'll buy the ticket right now. Yeah, so just think about it this way, Botch. I'm not I'm not sure what's going to happen because Clifford could go a lot of different places if he's not hired. Like, he doesn't have to go to Indiana as a lead assistant. But I do find that intriguing. So let's just look at it this way. If you got Becky Hammond, who ends up getting the job in Portland, I know that she's interviewed there twice with Billups and D'Antoni. You know, let's just say Billups or Be- Becky Hammond gets it. New Orleans goes with, um, you know, Charles Lee from Milwaukee. They go with a new um, assistant, maybe a Chauncey Billups type there. You could be looking at maybe a guy like Terry Stotts and Steve Clifford not having a place to coach, be a head coach. And if the Pacers really prioritize building a strong assistant coaching staff, imagine this pipe dream if they got Rick Carlisle as their head coach and put both Stotts and Clifford on their bench. I'm not saying that's going to happen, but I think that it does make some sense if you're the Pacers, if you're going to spend money, I think that you need to invest your money because we don't know how much it costs, but I, I think it does make sense to invest your money on this coaching staff in, instead of you know just hiring someone that's going to be a cheap hire. Because I think Steve Clifford would probably be cheaper than a Stotts or a Carlisle. So that's why I think they would go with maybe him because of a cheaper hire. But if they, if they do spend the money, I think that that would make sense to me to build that kind of like a superstar coaching staff that could relate with these players. 
Uh, no disrespect to Steve Clifford, but I could easily see him with a cardboard sign will be head coach for free at this point because it ain't going to happen anywhere else. But if you're talking about Terry Stotts, a man who, if he's going to be an assistant coach under anyone, why not be the guy that you won an NBA championship with in Rick Carlisle? I just feel like there there has to be at least a little bit of legs to that could be a potential. Now, yeah. look, like you mentioned, that's a pipe dream. That's the best case scenario is we get Carlisle Stotts and Steve Clifford. But to be honest, like I mentioned, Steve Clifford's going to be an assistant coach somewhere. Terry Stotts, I mean, maybe there could be an opening with the, the Washington job. Could potentially be a fit. I feel like we haven't really heard anyone linked to that job. I think that Terry Stotts would probably be a coach that, you know, you would think maybe Beal or, or Westbrook could be, you know, good with knowing that, hey, they at least, you know, he, he's an experienced coach that has at least gotten to a conference finals before. But there's a, there's a real chance that some of these coaches that are interviewing are going to end up as an assistant coach for the Pacers because think about it. The whole staff might be gone from last year. Oh, it gonna it be, is going to be gone. Yeah, like, there's <laughs> going to be openings. So, you know, why, why not? There's a lot, Alex, there's a lot of good potential coaches out there. But there's yeah. not enough jobs. Yeah, and, so the later it gets at night, the more I pipe dream. <laughs> oh, yeah. I, mean, I, just, I, I don't know. I'm just Maybe I'm getting tired, so I'm dreaming. But I just... You know, I don't think it's going to happen. I think, honestly, if I'm looking at this, I think one of these guys, it's hard to bring on a guy that you interview for a head coaching position as an assistant. I think that's a very difficult thing to do. But if a guy wants to coach and is unwilling to, you know, is unwilling to sit out and wants to be involved somewhere, that's maybe a route you go. And quite frankly, I think Brian Shaw could be a great assistant head coach like he once was before. But does he want to go that route or does he really want to just stay with his G League Ignite team? Because, Clearly, I think that he, a lot of Pacer fans are kind of kind of excited about Brian Shaw. I think there's like a 50-50 there. I think with Terry Stotts, it's like, oh, he sucked in Portland, blah, blah, blah. It's like, I don't really think he sucked in Portland. Uh, but a lot of fans just over-exaggerate things, I would say. And then Steve Clifford, I just feel like he's been better. He's made his teams better wherever he's been, but he's not a championship-level coach. And to me, he's not a playoff-winning coach. So that's why I feel like that would just be a slap in the face, like, oh, okay, this doesn't feel like we're trying to win. Where Stas, you know, at least he has a conference finals appearance and as a head coach. And with Carlisle, you know, he's won a championship and he's had really good, successful playoff teams throughout his career and regular season teams, like, you know, they've been really good. So that's where I'm at, Vach. I don't really know what other names are going to be out there, what other names are going to be attached to this coaching search. And I do think it'll be more than just the three names mentioned. I think the Pacers will do their due diligence and, you know, give it a couple more weeks, I think, until you find out who the head coach is. But at the end of the day, if they if they fall in love with one of these guys in an interview, I mean, it could be Stotts. He could be the guy. I'm fine with it. Yeah, I mean, when we talk about Brian Shaw, I just think that Shaw's the kind of guy we kind of touched on a little bit. I think if he's offered an assistant job, I don't think he takes it. Yeah, I think that he's someone that's going to be like, no, I'm going to continue to be the head coach of the G League Ignite team unless something better as in a head coaching job and then be opens up. And he's that guy that, ah, to be honest, I don't know how he gets another head coaching job unless he really succeeds with you know the Ignite team because yeah. that that's a pretty decent role compared to the G League. You're talking about like that's their funnel system of the top G League talent. So if he is able to maybe, you know, win a couple of championships over there, it could be an opportunity to be a head coach. I just think that the ties to Indiana is like the hey, let's definitely give him an interview and take it from there. 
Yeah, I well, I really think with Shaw though, it's just his ability to re- relate with players. Yeah, that's like, like that's I said, Kobe I'm, loved him. Yeah, and I'm not even sure like X's and O's wise how smart he is. But if you get him to be the head coach and communicate, and then you get some nice guys to go underneath him as offensive and defensive coordinators, I think that makes more sense. I would not go the route that Bjorkren did, where he said in Toronto, everybody, you know, rotates what they're going to do. You know, you don't have a defensive coordinator uh, for all 82 games. You have, you know, this guy's in charge of the defense for this week, and then the next week he could be in charge of offense and this and that. I don't think the Pacers need to go that route. They just need to get, get specialists who know exactly what their strengths and weaknesses are. You know, look at their head coach, whatever their strengths and weaknesses are, get those filled with an assistant staff that can help that coach. You know, it's coaching is a collective thing. It's not a one-man job, and that's why Nate Bjorkman was absolutely terrible because he did not delegate any of the coaching to anybody else, and especially in huddles. You know, we, we talk about it, even though Doc Rivers blew another game seven in a, in a crucial playoff series, you know, Doc Rivers just, you know, beating himself more than anything. He allowed the, the Dan Burks and the Dave Yeagers to coach. And he sat there during the timeout and let them speak to the players and, and set up different things. But Nate Bjorkren, you know, he couldn't get, uh, you know, he was attached at the hip with that iPad. So, you know, it's just like the Pacers have to do a good job of balancing out this coaching staff, Fudge. And I'm excited to see what they do. I think that whatever decision they make will be much more exciting than what Nate Bjorkren was, uh, would have been if they'd have brought him back for one more season. I, I just at this point, I just feel like the weight off of our shoulders once we realized Bjorken wasn't coming back. I can't imagine being having that weight back right now, thinking like it would just feel like, all right, so what do you think? Above or below, you know, December until he's fired. Like we would be, you know, throwing out these potentials of oh, he's not gonna make it past the all-star break. Like it, we don't want to be going into that. You wanna have like a, a new clear positive mindset of like okay hey we got new voices in there we got a great new staff we got guys that have defined roles like last year there was just so such an unknown and I don't know why we didn't think it was more alarming that we couldn't build out a coaching staff like it just seemed like no one wanted that job and uh and from an assistant coach standpoint and it it was just it was a shame so I'm so excited that whoever's going to be in there is going to be a fresh face but also one that we're not just rolling the dice on this. This sounds like it's going to be someone that, you know, has at least, it seems like 500 games or more under their belt between the the Terry Stotts, the Rick Carlisle's. I mean, even Steve Clifford's coach, you know, 600 games. Uh, Brian Shaw is the kind of guy that only did about a year and a half in Denver, but still he's been assistant coach for 10 plus years. So, you know, it makes you feel like, okay, hey, if he's a candidate, at least it's someone who's respected and all that. So I'm excited moving forward. Yeah, so let's move on here to Philadelphia. They got eliminated from the playoffs by the Atlanta Hawks. Nate McMillan, congratulations to Nate. Getting to the Eastern Conference Finals after, you know, getting fired for his playoff record here in Indiana, basically. That's what it came down to. He just was like 3-16 and here as the Pacers head coach, and it was time to move on. And now he is just thriving with this Atlanta team. I think that not only has he done a great job coaching and made some great adjustments in, in these series, but I think that, he has benefited from playing some of these teams that I think, you know, were more closer to his roster than some of these teams the Pacers played, especially once they got injured. But with that being said, Ben Simmons was a guy that has been the talk of the town for every single NBA city at this point. And it looks like the 76ers are non-committed to Ben Simmons. They could bring him back and work on a shot and go that route, or they could look to maybe move on and blow up the Embiid Simmons pairing and Fachi. Pacers Twitter has been completely divided on this, but 
Where do you stand on Ben Simmons and how aggressive would you be to try to put him on this Indiana team? I'm going to be honest. What I just saw in these playoffs was horrifying. I think Ben Simmons might have been the biggest fraud since Bernie Madoff scammed a ton of people out of money. This man was was just a he became just scrunched up confidence wise, and, and it was evident that he didn't want to shoot the ball. He he could not shoot the ball, and it seemed that every time he went to the free throw line, he was terrified. And I, I think that you and I saw the same report Stephen A. Smith was saying, and and it seems obvious if you look at it. This man's not working. What strides has he taken on his jump shot? period since entering the league I just think that this is what a max player is now they called this guy maybe the next LeBron and I just think that I know some people are like hey why not and the Pacers have had a track record having a it's either four or five most improved player of the years I mean your Jermaine O'Neal's your Danny Granger's your Paul George's your Victor Oladipo's I mean they've done very well with developing talent but I'm out on this one and I'll tell you why 146 million dollars owed to a man that doesn't have a jump shot I can't do it. Okay, so I'm not going to be as pessimistic as you, but I understand the concerns, right? The free throw thing is a little bit concerning. I mean, you couldn't even play in the game. I, I, you know, I was laughing. I commented on something, and they said, you know, he, you know, he needs to get choke slammed. You know, the Undertaker is coming out of nowhere to choke slam him. And I said, well, I think the free throw line already choke slammed him. But, uh, <laughs> but anyway, what I, what I really just don't understand is why Stephen A. Smith all of a sudden gets a text yeah, live on air. Fine. It felt so staged because was. Stephen A loves Philadelphia sports. Like yep. well, that, that just seemed to me so like over the top. I don't know if I necessarily believe what was in that report that Stephen A said or whatever that executive or someone close to the situation as he called it. Um, look, Ben Simmons is an elite level player. There's no doubt about it. Defensively, he would be the Pacers' best defensive player if he was put yep. on this roster right now. Sorry, Miles Turner, but I just think Ben Simmons can do a little bit more on the perimeter defensively. He's just he's got the build to basically be that four the Pacers have needed for a long time to guard bigger wings. But I know that shot, Fachi, is something that is just so uh, so inexcusable why he still it is left hand. Um, this is a guy that Kevin O'Connor reported this in an article. Ben Simmons has taken throughout his career over 70% of his shots with his right hand in the NBA. We're talking dunks, layups, hook shots, not free throws, not threes. Those have all been left-handed shots for the most part, but everything else he shoots with his right hand because naturally he is a right-handed guy. So if I, I know this sounds silly, but if I'm the Pacers and I'm looking to make a trade for him, I'm telling them, like, hey, we're going to try switching your shooting hand. And if you're not fine with that, I'm not trading for you because what you did in the playoffs, that's inexcusable. I, I can't have a guy that is my top three player on my team, top two player in this case with Philadelphia, being afraid to, you know, make a wide open dunk because he's afraid to get fouled. And, and Ben, you know, and then Joel Embiid calls him out in the middle of the press conference. And I, I just feel like they could have done a better job of not making it all about Ben there. I don't think it was completely Ben's fault. Why Philadelphia lost a series, I think Doc Rivers did a terrible job coaching and some of the stuff he did. But at the end of the day, Ben Simmons has got to be better. And I think he can be better. I don't necessarily think he doesn't work hard, but I can't see where he would be a little bit entitled, uh, you know, just because he's had such he's such a gifted player that he might not feel like he has to do work. He just get out there and just do what he does. But I feel like if you're looking at someone to throw on Giannis Antetokounmpo on this Pacers roster, you're scared to death. You put Ben Simmons on him, you might still be a little nervous, but you feel a lot better about it. 
Oh, yeah. Make no mistake. Ben Simmons is a good player. He was just as the number one pick as a guy who I know he missed his whole rookie year. That could have been the, the time to work on your shot a bit where you had all that time. But we're talking four years later, and it seems that he's made no strides defensively. Yeah, you're you're talking about a, a arguably a top two to three defender. I mean, this guy for a while was, you know, maybe in the running for obviously Rudy Gobert was going to win defensive player of the year, but Ben Simmons was in that running to to, to potentially have Simmons and Miles Turner. I mean, defensively, whew, I mean, that's scary. It is. Yeah. But a guy that through four seasons has attempted 34 threes, he's only made five of them, a 61% free throw shooter. The money that he's making, 33, then 35, then 37, then $40 million, it's scary for a guy that you don't even know what hand he shoots with. That sounds like something that's made up. I mean, but I hear you. I've heard that same report. You're talking about switching his hand at this point. That just seems like basically when they like – you know, when whatever happened to Markel Fultz happened where all of a sudden he had to just take it down from, you know, ground level to build his jumper back up. And, I mean, it, it's a scary idea for a guy that's making that much money. I tried to come up with some trade scenarios just to be like, okay, well, let, let's see what we got. And, look, Alex, I know they might want to move on, but they're not just giving him up. So if the no, Pacers no, are going to no. make a move, you you got to be talking about, you know, giving up some uh, – some big pieces here and just a couple of trades that I ran by that were accepted, not saying I do them, but it would be Ben Simmons and Matisse Thibel for Malcolm Brogdon, TJ Warren and a first. And I can't do that. I can't. Okay. I, I, I just think at defense that point, gets incredibly better, but defense gets, defense gets way better. But here's the thing, Philly of all teams, if you're going to do a straight up deal, are they really interested in acquiring Sabonis or Miles Turner? It feels like you have to have a third team in there. Yeah. Because are, are you really looking all of a sudden to have Embiid paired next to another center? It just feels like I don't know if that's the route they're willing to go. Another trade I came up with. Ben Simmons for Malcolm Brogdon, Aaron Holiday, and Gogo. Um, right over there, they get a backup center for Embiid because, you know, who knows what's going to happen with injuries. Aaron Holiday, I mean, they're losing a point guard, so they're getting one. And they're also getting Brogdon. It's one of those where – you don't have to give up a first-round pick. I, the trade machine on ESPN actually made the Pacers two games worse. Why do you still use ESPN's trade machine? Uh, that's what, what do you use? Trade NBA, man. It's way better. It gives you the real salaries and everything. It shows you cap holds and all that. It feels like uh, that's like the old version of like PlayStation when you could be playing with a PlayStation 5, Foch. Well, first of all, PS2 is one of the greatest systems of all time. I just but, said PlayStation. I didn't say PS2. I know. Okay. I'm, I, love, I love oldies. <laughs> but, um, you know, then one more trade I came up with. And, okay. and this one, to tell you the truth, I don't even know if this one really happens. Uh, I, I don't know. Ben Simmons for Brogdon, Lamb, and Goga. Um, yeah. It's, 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 the thing is, his value is so low right now. So it is. That's why I think these trades are possibilities. I, they, I think Brogdon makes a lot of sense there. Yeah, yeah. Brogdon needs to be included, and he's included in all of those deals that I came up with. Yeah. You're talking about, like, I get it, his value is lower than where it was before, but a, a trade for Ben Simmons about maybe even a year ago, I mean, Philly wouldn't trade Ben Simmons for James Harden. I mean, think about how crazy that is. So they're still going to be asking for something pretty good, and, you know, the contract, that's that's for them to be able to get, you know, from underneath the contract. So, you know, you're still going to be looking at promising players, potentially picks, but – if it's going to cost more than like a Brogdon, Lamb, and Goga, ah, man, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I, I think I'd be willing to part with Turner and Brogdon to get Ben Simmons. And 
I would, but I just don't you think know, that they want a center. Well, I, they don't want a center, but you have to find a third team to get involved, like you said earlier. So that's what's going to have to happen if they do go that route. But it's just like I really like Ben Simmons overall. He's 24 years old, Fachi. Like, I don't think that's too young to change your shot in the league. He's got plenty of time. I mean, he's got at least eight years left of prime basketball before he hits like 33 years old, or you might see a little bit of a dip, but I'm still like, he's in that same age group as Turner and Sabonis and Aaron Hollanday, 24, 25 years old. So he does fit the makeup of this team. Now, what I will say is he's with Clutch Sports and Clutch Sports is known to dictate where they want to go. So uh, if he says, uh, you're, if they say, hey, we're going to trade you to Indiana, he's going to say, no, I'm not going to Indiana. That's, that'd be my overall gut feeling. And I know I've had some conversations with people about it off air, and they said, well, you know, he's got four years left on his contract. He can't really make those demands. And I said, have you seen the way the league is going? It is a player's league by far. And if they traded him, he could sit out. Like, I mean, the Pacers don't want to deal with that drama. So the uh, only they reason – not. Yeah, so the only reason they would do it is if, if they could get uh, a commitment from Ben Simmons to play. And I think – you know, at this point, I don't really love his fit with the Montes Bonas. I don't I think, at all. I think they could be really good playmakers, but neither of them can shoot. So at this point, you're looking at trading Sabonis. And that might be able to get you where you can keep Brogdon and Turner. Maybe you trade Sabonis to a third team, and then that team trades something of value to Philadelphia. But I still think that Philadelphia values Simmons much higher than Sabonis, and rightfully so, because he is – you know, just young, not younger, but they, they're just so different. And center-wise, you know, the, that position, once again, is not the most prominent position, but I just think Ben Simmons overall is a better player than DeMontis Sabonis. I'm, I'm just going to say it. I don't care uh, people get upset with me. I just – I think Ben Simmons is a better player, but his inability to, you know, play in the playoffs. Like, I mean, look at what Giannis did in game seven. Like, the guy was gassed. He airballed two free throws, but he still shot like 70% from the free throw line in that game seven. And that was what won them the game was him knocking down those free throws. So Ben Simmons, if he can change that shot, I mean, then Philadelphia would be stupid to trade him. Because if he can knock a shot down at a consistent rate, like just be good enough but not great, then they probably win that series against Atlanta. So that's, that's where I'm not like over the top thinking Philadelphia is going to blow it up. And I know I'm talking a lot here, Fachi. But at the end of the day, like I would be willing to trade for him. I just don't necessarily with the, think with this roster, he makes a ton of sense. But I would be intrigued by it. And I would look to make more moves if that were the case. I think that, yeah, like I said, they're not give, just going to give away Simmons. We know they're not. But you're talking about before, like, oh, hey, you know, if we're going to make a trade, you know, Simmons has to agree to work on a shot. He could easily say anything, but yeah, sure, you got it. And gets here, all of a sudden, he just doesn't put in the work like he hasn't been doing for the last four years. So I just think it's too much of a gamble when you're paying him that much money. I mean, the Pacers have never paid anyone even close to the money that Ben Simmons is going to make, and I just don't think that that's the guy that you elect to do that. I mean, I, I just don't – I mean, I want to say the most money anyone's ever made is Malcolm Brogdon on the Pacers. Uh, at a little over $20 million. Yeah. And, and now you're talking about Simmons at like $33, $33 million. It just seems like, whoa, this is this is such a gamble that uh, confidence-wise, I, I think it's shot. I think Ben Simmons needs a lot of work, and I think that right now he's slowly the last few years – We've we've got he's gotten better as a defender, but we've gotten used to who he is. And when you're talking about it, if his shot is like you know whatever consistency, Alex, he's not shooting. He's just not. Period. And, and it's weird. And when you talked about the playoffs before, it's every year. It's mm -hmm. like you get Ben Simmons in the half court. If he's not in transitional, you just limit him to a half court. 
this man is is not doing anything. He wasn't yeah. even attempting shots in the fourth quarter. I mean, it's it's it was sad what he shot from the free throw line. Thirty four percent in the playoffs. He had forty eight misses overall in the two rounds, but he shot the worst of all time in the playoffs. They did a hack of Ben Simmons on him. They pulled yeah. a hack of Shack on on Ben Simmons, and he could not hit consistently one of two from the line. I mean, when you bring up Giannis, like that's a guy who's worked intensely hard to fix his shot because it was beyond broken. He put in the work. It shows that is a man that became MVP. <laughs> Simmons, I, I'm gonna be honest, I, I think he's I think he's going downhill from here. I do. He's still yeah. very he's still young enough. He can get better, but does he want to truly get better? Yeah, I'm not gonna go that far with you, Fotch. I don't think he's going downhill. I think that everything that I think this could be a wake-up call for him, honestly, because I hope. there's been tons of conversation about him as a player, him, you know, shooting with the wrong hand, all that kind of stuff. But, you know, it's never been at this big of a stage where he's been that exposed or been that, you know, put on the spotlight where you got your star player basically saying they lost a the game because of you. Like, you know, like I think eventually at some point, you know, not, not pride, but just – you know, just as a competitor, you have to say, I got to fix this, you know. And I think, I think he might be willing to. At 24 years old, like I said, he's really young. So there's plenty of time to get it. So I'm not, I'm not going to say this is the end of the road or things are heading down here for him. I think that he's fine. And I think that it, maybe a new change of scenery would be good for him because Philadelphia. I think so. Uh, the trust the process whole entire thing. Like I saw some Sixers fans saying like, oh, that ended five years ago when Hinky left. Like, no, Ben uh, Joe Allen Beatsell calls himself the process. So, yes, this is still the process, but the process has not been to the Final Four in a very, very long time. I think there was a post today where they said they're uh, the, all the Final Four since 2010, and there was like six teams from the East that have not been there, and Philadelphia was one of them. So, while they've had you know good first round playoff matchups, they've continued to disappoint in the playoffs, and I don't think it's any better unless they make a massive move and. Uh, as I'm on this trade NBA uh, that I was telling you about, Foch, not the ESPN one, somebody threw a monster trade together, and I'm just going to throw it out here for you to see if you, uh, if you see if you like this at all for all the teams involved. 76ers get Damian Lillard and Robert Covington. The Mavericks get Jeremy Lamb, CJ McCollum, and Miles Turner. The Pacers get Tobias Harris. The Trailblazers get Kristaps Porzingis, Ben Simmons, Jalen Brunson, Shake Milton, Tyrell Terry, Josh Green, Isaiah Joe, Four first-round picks and a second-round pick. What do you think of that, Fletch? Alex, you lost me 10 names ago. There must have been 15 <laughs> players involved in that deal. Uh, there, was, there was like seven going to the Blazers. So they had Porzingis, <laughs> Simmons, and then a bunch of like guys on rookie contracts. Uh, but those are the big names there with you know five picks, four first-round picks. Uh, those were Mavericks and Philadelphia 76ers picks. So basically the Pacers get Tobias Harris in this deal for just Lamb and Miles Turner. And that's not a bad deal for the Pacers. No, it's really not. Honestly, um, Tobias Harris took a solid step forward this year. I, I liked him. He looked really good. One of the best players to not be an all-star. I think that he's probably basically that final cut or two uh, right now of the guys that should be an all-star, but just just low. He had a really good playoff, you know, playoff run this year. Really good in round one. Real good in most games in round two. Uh, Tobias Harris is a, is a player that the Pacers very much could need. And if you're talking Miles Turner and Jeremy Lamb, like I don't want to discredit Miles, but your luxury is at center. A guy like Tobias Harris could could get you easily 20 every night. Yeah. I like Tobias Harris. He's someone of the Pacers I think had interest in playing a little bit of that small ball four, you know, 
I wouldn't do the all bench units with Tobias Harris like Doc Rivers did, yeah. but I still think that you get another score out there. I just think that it makes this Pacers team really intriguing. But Flashy, we have gone over the length of our normal time on these podcasts. So um, I know we released an episode Monday with Al Jefferson. It was a short one. So we're making up for it today, doing a lengthy one after the draft lottery. There's so much to talk about. But Flashy, any final thoughts before we uh, wrap this up? Hey, no, we at least know for sure we're picking at 13. So start to sell yourself on uh, some guys that, you know, aren't maybe the stars of the draft, but should be there around 13. I'd say, hey, this head coaching drama, it's going to drag out for a couple of weeks. So buckle up. But uh, good times are ahead. The draft is going to be about, they say, five weeks away. So a lot's going to be determined in the next five weeks. Yeah. So we do have a James Book Night. I think James Book Night. Uh podcast coming out later this week on the prospect chronicles so be on the lookout for that and other than that Fachi, where can the people find us at on social media so you can find us on twitter at setting the pace three you could find alex on twitter at alex golden nba i can be found on twitter at underscore f-a-c-c-i and you could find us on instagram at pacers talk and if you're excited for the pacers coaching search to be over and to figure out who the pacers draft then stand up and say these three words Let's go Pacers!